Welcome to the Strength Rehab Podcast. Join your hosts, Raul Axmayer and Brandon Parker, as they discuss the latest information regarding the health and fitness industries. Topics include sports performance, physical rehab, and of course, general health. Remember, this is the podcast where science meets practice. All right, Raul. So off air, we were talking about how plenty of people are asking what the seminar is all about. What are we crafting and why are we crafting it? So I'm just going to put the question to you. Why do you think a seminar with the material that we developed is necessary for future clinicians? I think that the main reason as to why we're doing and creating the seminar is because we believe, at least I believe, there's a lot of missing links in our education uh, for Kairos and also for physical therapists as well. Um, they don't emphasize stuff that should be emphasized that is very important uh, when it comes to clinical practice, such as stuff about pain. We never got taught about pain, and we don't need to dive into the neuroscience of it, but a couple of facts and analogies that we can help with, we can use with patients. Um, and also our, our seminar is basically a lot of strength and conditioning concepts applied to rehab. So that's not something that's taught in school. And that is the bread of bo and butter of what we do, or at least what rehab professionals should do. Um, mm -hmm. And I believe that if clinicians want to work on rehab and they don't know how to prescribe exercises, and the basics of prescribing and why you're doing something, then you're not going to have great results with a three by 10 cookie cutter program. Right. Um, so if you understand strength and conditioning and you understand pain and injuries and natural history and all of that things, you can be a pretty darn good clinician. So I think that's my why. I just want people to be better and know better. Yeah, I think that like the way we were taught in school almost puts us in a box in the sense of, the way we're taught, unless you're not, unless you're seeking outside information, you're stuck. You're stuck with this very mechanical or biomedical thought process where you can't even really consider what the person in front of you is thinking, right? You're, you're, you're just so hocked up or you're so hyper-focused on what is the pain generator. And it's just like, what if there isn't one, you know? And nobody really talks about that in, in school. So, you know, it's kind of like you put your blinders on. Well, I didn't learn that in school and I'm a doctor. And then ego kind of jumps in front of everything. And then your judgment is ultimately clouded, you know. So just for example, there was a person that came in today. We got his MRIs and he had central central canal stenosis, right? And literally no symptoms. But if if I if so, I, I read the MRI prior to even meeting this person, right? So what if I met this person? I already read the MRI and they have any symptoms. I'm already more inclined to blame it on the central canal stenosis than anything else that's in his like lifestyle choices, his background, his genetics, so on and so forth. So I feel like that we weren't even taught to think about that, that realm of stuff, uh, let alone like, you know, actually brought to us like in a formal lecture, you know what I'm saying? 100%. And talking about imaging, dude, we've got a big percentage of population walking around without symptoms and with B-gas, disc protrusion, extrusions, the worst ever, stenosis, everything. So I always say that that's just a piece of the puzzle and it's not the whole um, explanation as to why someone has symptoms and or pain. 
Right, right. And I, you know, that kind of talks about or at least brings us into uh, one of the sections that we really hit hard in our seminar is the communication aspect of things, right? Um, you and I, at least I know I believe that more than 90% of everything that you need from it to do to diagnose, I mean, I know the age old thing is 80% of the diagnosis is from the history. I believe that anything that you really need from the person comes from their mouth, right? But they're not going to outright and say it. For example, you hear people all the time saying, uh, yeah, I, I treated somebody. And after the treatment, they went out and said, oh, yeah, I was in a car accident. Patients forget to mention things, but it's not always their fault. You need to be able to have clear communication and you need to be able to ask the right questions to fish the right answers. Right. And that's one of the things we re really, really hit hard is because I feel like a there's some people that slip through the cracks we, as chiropractors. Like we said in the last, maybe last two podcasts is we're kind of like entrepreneurs and it's and chiropractic is exactly what you make it. And there's some people that are just timid. They don't know how to talk to people. And then that alone is going to influence their ability to be a doctor. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's definitely, it, yeah. Like think about it like this, like you have a case study, right? If I gave that that bookworm a case study of giving them all the symptoms and everything, they'll probably be like, boom, ankylosing spondylitis or whatever, right? Well, you can't just have it handed to you. You have to create the case study by asking the questions to the patient. And people tend to forget that. And it's not as easy as, hey, do you have stiffness in the morning? Yeah, 90% of the people have stiffness in the morning, okay? It doesn't mean they have exactly. ankylosing spondylitis, you know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So... I think that was, I, I love the fact that we're hitting that hard in the seminar. And do you, in your personal experience, have you seen uh, people fail the communication aspect? And if so, what do you think it is? Every single time, every single day. I even see it at doing uh, my preceptorship right now, but it's, I believe it's due to many, many reasons. Um, number one, People work with hurry, I believe. And they're just so focused on getting in as much patience as possible that they're like, okay, where does it hurt? When did it start? Uh, okay, how does it hurt from zero to 10? Okay, everything is closed-ended questions every single time. Mm -hmm. You don't you don't see people asking open-ended questions or legitly caring about someone and asking not only about their pain or injury or whatever, but how is it affecting your life? And what would you like to know? Because... You also don't want to overdo the communication and tell uh, patients stuff that they don't really care about. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I definitely see it daily um, due to many different factors. Uh, but those are the first ones that come to mind right now. That's, you know, you brought up a key point there is there is a you, you, there is a point in time where you as a clinician, even though you're practicing evidence based and you give yourself enough time to talk to the patient. There is a time where there's just you're not being calculated with your questions and you're just kind of, for lack of better words, not being effective with your time. Right. So, you know, for example, like history is going to take up a good portion of like the first time you meet the patient. But there should be time of you doing some type of movement, maybe like educating them and showing them that maybe this movement's not actually harmful, so on and so forth. Right. Um, but, you know, you, you are going to come across those talkers. People love to talk, at least some people right so 
if you're not calculated with your questions and you're not meticulous with your word choice, you might get in this weird situation where you're like, okay, it's already been 45 minutes and I didn't even get a good history because all they've been talking about is their grandkids. I know everything about their grandkids, but I have no clue what they actually think about their low back pain. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, but that's the beauty of the at least the like the business framework that I use. I, I get enough information before our conversation so they mm -hmm. can talk as much as they want because I kind of already know what's going on and I can have a general idea and then we can dive into the topic. So, But if it's like, for example, a walking patient, that's going to be mm -hmm. tough because you, right. you got to know, right? You got to know what's going on and at least have a general idea. And there's definitely people, I see it a lot in the older population, they just want to talk. Yeah. They come in, they don't even mention their knee pain. They just mention, oh, I did this for a Halloween meal with my grandkids and I'm cooking dinner for them on Thanksgiving and this and that. So definitely it's a tough situation. 100%. That's a good point. Like, you know, having your pre-sign up forms being very detailed and, and thorough can help you tremendously. So you're not finding yourself behind the behind the gun you know you're really trying to get through the the, the history taking and it feels forced and non-genuine um i had a, i had a good question the, the good question that we were asked on instagram about like what do you prefer load management or or what was it what, was there any time was where... there is there any moment where biomechanics uh basically triumph or trump um load management in your rehab Right, right. And then it's funny because we have load management and then which I think is an overarching umbrella term. And then we have a whole section on biomechanics and how we alter it to thus load manage the patient. Right. It was it was kind of a, a weird question. I kind of understood it, but at the same time, I did not. So that's why I like I don't know what he wants me <laughs> to say. Um, Like, yes, load management matters, but there's a million different ways that we can manage your load, both externally and internally, because it's not only external load, but mm -hmm. also biomechanics matter, just not as much as we thought they did, but then, but they still matter, but it's context dependent. So I was like, I don't know what this guy wants me to tell him. <laughs> right, right. And I thought that was a really cool thing. And, and it seems like that there's some people don't grasp the idea that load management is an overarching thought process. It's not a individualistic protocol. It's like you could do a, a lot of things, a lot of things to reduce the load that's on the patient. And it could be as simple as reducing sets. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Going back to strength and conditioning principles. What is a deload? Reducing either sets, reps, or the load that's lifted, you know? That is load management. That is going to reduce the injury risk if they're overreaching and fatigued. And that's another thing that we're covering in the seminar because when you don't know how to load manage or you think load management is an individualistic protocol, you might find yourself like tying your hands behind your back, you know, because there's a million ways to skin a cat and there needs to be because everybody's 100% different. Everybody has different goals. Everybody wants something different, right? So. Yep. Yeah, I think I think and, that go on. And I feel like the everybody in the BPS community um that says that biomechanics don't matter or don't matter as much, I do still think that clinicians should master biomechanics, human biomechanics, because 
once again, if you do rehab, that's going to be your bread and butter. Because if you know biomechanics, then you can do progressions and regressions. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's as simple as playing with your form um, or placing the feet a little bit wider and pointing your toes out instead of in, stuff like that. So I do still believe that biomechanics is huge mm -hmm. and that if you have a solid understanding of them, you can do a lot and you can help a lot of people. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, I was also playing around with this idea is like, I know we go, there's so, just people that go down the rabbit hole of perfect form and like they try to make sure that everything is super perfect. And then that in itself can be nocebic and it can make people fearful of movement. Right. But I also on the other side of things, like if you teach like, quote unquote, good form, like kind of basic, this is this is the baseline form. I like the idea because you have a. How would I say this? An internal regulator. So, for example, if we say something along the lines where we're not nocebic saying when we deadlift, it's OK if you flex your spine. But if you try your best to avoid it, maybe avoid it's not a good word, but, you know, try to limit it. Uh, that might actually prevent them from overreaching fatigue. Do you see what I'm saying? Um, yeah, I feel you. You know, so like, don't get me wrong. Like, you know, like there's plenty of people, world records that do flexion. They're fucking fine. You know, they progressively overload to that. But, you know, I like the idea of just saying like, okay, well, like if you're excessively flexing or depending on your strongest position to deadlift, maybe we're not intelligently, you know, progressively overloading. If you have to default to your strongest position and you're not in a competition, maybe we don't need to depend on this position. You know what I'm saying? So like I see both ends of the spectrum. I hope I fall in the middle. I, I don't understand how people can just sit on the sidelines, you know? Yeah, it's, it's a gray area. It's not black and white. Um, I do tell patients that flexing their spine is fine, but I don't tell them to intentionally flex their spine on a deadlift. That makes sense. Um, if it's a beginner, I literally don't care about, um, quote unquote, fixing their form because it's going to get fixed with time. Yeah. Um, but I tell them like, hey, I do tell them that, hey, it's completely fine if you flex your spine. Um, and if people have to do activities where they're going to be flexing their spine, I kind of even encourage them to kind of train it um, mm -hmm. better to be strong in that position rather than weak, right? But I don't tell them to like, hey, when you do deadlifts, make sure to flex your spine because it's fine. <laughs> no, that's that's not good advice. <laughs> right, right. You know, it, like drove me like I was triggered. I was absolutely triggered this morning. And maybe it wasn't by a particular person, but it was a thought process of like, we either need to mobilize or stabilize a position. Dude, <laughs> I, every every single time that I see like someone saying, oh, we go through this assessment to see if you need either mobility or stability. That's a red flag for me. I'm sorry, whoever listens to this, but that's not how humans are. Okay. It's exactly. not only oh mobility issue or no, it's a stability issue. Like what the hell are you even saying? The the biggest thing I think about is this. It's just like okay, we'll just do the simplest example here. Let's talk about the ankle joint. Let's say you have an ankle that is completely normal that can access full range of dorsiflexion. Right, person comes in, they can't for some reason get into full dorsiflexion. What is stopping it? If I just told you the anatomical structure is not stopping it, what is stopping it? Muscle. Okay, sure. The muscles like, you know, for some reason being hypertonic, what controls the muscle, the central nervous system? How do we influence the central nervous system? We fucking exercise. So now we are stabilizing and mobilizing in the same thing by doing what exercising. So it's just kind of like, why are we adding 15 steps of mobilization to just do the same exact thing at the end of the day? And one of the, the, the examples that I would say is 
my brother who's you know running a, a, a strength and conditioning program with 50 60 plus kids all rotating on the squat rack i'll tell you what he sent me pictures god awful like squat form with all the freshmen because you know they've never been in that position and he goes check this out he gave it about three four weeks and like he didn't he didn't correct them he didn't do anything he just kept on like reminding them like hey try to hit depth you know just really don't try to cheat the weight you're going to you know the newbie gains you don't have to really push the weight right and after that third to fourth week man do their squat form beautiful you know i'm saying absolutely beautiful so it's just like hey look now they're stable and mobile at the same time and they didn't do anything other than just squat you know yeah and i'm at the point right now where my mentality is i don't even think if somebody quote unquote needs to strengthen this muscle or they need to work on their stability or this and that because it doesn't even really matter when it comes to pain it does not matter um i just think like okay what are you trying to do okay let's get you stronger on these positions because it'll translate positively and specifically to what you want to do but that's it about all oh, you need stability on your knee because it's stable but then on your hip you need mobility that's just so outdated and i just think it really doesn't matter if you want to be better just be stronger you know <laughs> right right and yeah i agree that and like so like i was also playing around with this idea just like all right so for example like all right golf swing golf swing you're gonna need some sort of extreme internal rotation i wouldn't say extreme but like a lot of internal rotation of that front planted hip right and i was thinking to myself like what happens if you can't access that internal rotation of the hip you know and at the very like i, I can't tell you what happens i can't i don't know But I would say is I can and I, we can most likely improve the fluidity of your swing by improving this hip because every time we try to access internal rotation of this hip, you're in pain, you know, and that goes back to what are you trying to accomplish? I love to golf. Okay, well, every time you golf, you come to me the next day in pain. So how about we we, we improve this hip and like see what happens? You know what I'm saying? So like I'm playing around with that idea. But once again, that's kind of a different realm, right? That's a completely different realm. That's like more sports-specific performance, you know, type thing. And like, I think that's what we need to separate. Because as, as you said, and I agree, you don't need certain things to get out of pain, you know? Yeah, I agree. Uh, and in that case, I would just keep it very specific uh, to their sport um, and to their golf swing or movement. And I would train kind of like mimic that position. And I wouldn't do like... For example, the classic 90-90, because, yeah, it, it can help them increase their ROM, but that doesn't mean that getting better at the 90-90s will mean or translate positively to them getting better at their internal rotation and trunk rotation that it's required for the golf swing. So right. if you could, it's, yeah. it's once again the set principle, right? Yeah. You know, I've been uh, I got this from PJ Performance, I believe his name. Um, really cool guy, and he he does this with his basketball players. Is he does a closed chained internal rotation standing. So long story short, think about planting your left foot and then like rotating around that left foot, and it's just like that. That is going to be the most specific you're going to get to, like you know, closed chain standing internal rotation, whether it be pivoting in basketball or swinging a golf club. If you believe that's going to be the the limiting factor to the athlete, you know, exactly. Uh, one good example that comes to mind right now. Uh, for that golf swing, just make them do like cable wood choppers. Mm -hmm. You're working your trunk rotation and also your hip internal and external rotation. So you hit a lot of stuff. And I would prefer that over like, for example, the 9090 that every FMS or SFMA people will do. Right. And, it, you know, I, I, I will say this. 
Prone swimmers is one of my favorite still. I, I you know, when it comes down to it, if I, if somebody's on the table, I can just ask them to do that and then they do it. And, and I'll tell you what, most of the people go, oh my God. And they go, yeah, just do more of that because it does do literally every range of motion that the shoulder is required to do. So it's kind of like a big bang for your buck is a, all right, before you do any activity, go ahead and just do that. You'll probably feel great. You know, I'll, I'll do that. And then with the the hip stuff, like, you know, if they mean, like if they're a CrossFitter, I'll, I'll say like, hey, do you do 9090s? It's a very simplistic thing. So I understand why SFMA and, and FRC go right to it. Uh, but like, once again, I don't think any exercise is the gold standard put on a pedestal type movement, you know? Yeah. Um, yo, um, what was I going to say? Oh no, it's gone forever. Nice. Uh, butterfly brain, man. Butterfly brain. But yeah, I, I was uh, doing the the prone swimmers, man. Like I'll tell you what, like it's been going well. Oh, that's what I was gonna say with the prone swimmers. Um, and in most of my exercise prescription, they always like find it weird. I was telling you that my hands are aching because the preceptor that I'm at, they make me do a lot of manual therapy. My hands aren't ready for that type of stuff, right? Um, so what I'll do is I'll, I'll titrate in exercises, one of them being the prone swimmers, you know, for example, everyone's complaining about the knots and their, the trapeziuses and stuff like that, dude, what I'll do is I'll have them go to failure on prone swimmers and then everything's burning up in that trap region. And then I'll touch their trap and they, and I, I guarantee you, I like, I would say six out of 10 people will say, oh my God, I feel great. Like all this area doesn't have any knots. I push on it there's clearly knots you know what i'm saying but like i don't i don't like oh yeah yeah but i i i think people are too afraid to say like i want you to go to failure or i want you to get close to failure this this whole idea of three sets of 10 three sets of 15 it's so arbitrary because for example most of these chiropractic practices don't even assess strength to begin with so like how are you giving sets and reps <laughs> <laughs> how how are you going to prescribe something if you have no idea of where your client's at exactly let's let's put that in a different perspective personal trainer you hire a personal trainer and he knows nothing about you the first week out into your programming he says i want you to hit 315 on bench six sets of 10 like what what do you, you don't even know how strong i am or or like I, I love the the whole idea of like percentages like don't get me wrong percentages have its place very rarely in my book but still they still have their place in some areas but it's just kind of like okay so 80 percent. so you want me to one rep max tomorrow to figure out what the 80 percent is like that, that once again that's just like halfway thought yeah. process makes no sense to me dude now now that you you mentioned that your hands hurt because your hands are not used to doing all of that soft tissue stuff um I think it's crazy how every single part of our bodies um, depends on the, the, the tissue capacity, right? My jaw, my TMJ, was hurting a lot this week. And I kept thinking, like, why is my TMJ hurting? Like, every single time I eat a banana or a sandwich, it's, like, very, like, dumps. For, it's the best way that I can explain it. Kind of like the gym that you the, – the pain that you feel after the gym. And I realized it's – I bought like a huge pack of like bubble gum, like chewing gum. And I've been eating that for hours and hours <laughs> and hours. And I'm like, wow, like literally my jaw, <laughs> my jaw is not used to like this repetitive motion that creates a lot of load that it's not used to tolerating. And I'm like, 
wow, I think it's crazy that this applies to every single tissue. And I was like, how the hell can I make a post out of this? Because if this applies to my jaw and I know by a fact that it was the bubble gum that I've been eating, yeah, I'm like, this is just a perfect example of how it's all about tissue capacity. Please do that. I think that would actually be a very good post. That's, that's actually, I love it. And I kept thinking like for two or three days and I'm like, why the hell does this hurt? And then I saw the bubble gum and I was like, there it is. <laughs> this is it. No more bubble gum for me. And I love that thought process because not only does that talk about tissue capacity, but it also drives the, it drives the parallel of saying like all tissue is the same, you know? It's all controlled by the same central nervous system. The only guess real difference is what joint does it like, you know, surround and like, how does it move in space? Right. But that's the only real difference. But I don't think that actually changes the sheer principles of it, you know? And I think too many people think like, oh, lumbar spine. As soon as you get to the lumbar spine, everything goes out the window and they no longer take that concept of all the same tissue, all this, you know, it's going to react the same way. You know, it's the laws of biology, but what I was going to say is this is the type of critical thinking that we're going to bring to the seminar because I feel like people aren't – I don't think people are incapable to think like this. I just think that nobody is challenging their thought process in a non-judgmental environment. Growing like, you know, going through the, the chiropractic environment, you of all people, you would know that you can't challenge thought processes because you're not challenging thoughts anymore. You're, ch you're, you're challenging their ego, you know, dude, I got attacked in quarter four or three. <laughs> Do you remember oh, yeah, 100%. that computer lab? I'm like, fuck this. I'm not asking anyone anything else. <laughs> I mean, I said next you week, the guy comes in with a different mentality and I'm like, oh, I made you think. But you suck, by the way. He almost <laughs> ate me alive. And I'm like, what the hell's wrong with you? I asked you a simple question. I sent you a text. I remember I was like, yo, you want me to jump in? You want me to jump on? <laughs> I'm only going to jump in so if you awkward. want me to. He got very mad. It's just, it, it's kind of at the end of the day, it's just, if you get mad by somebody asking a genuine critical thinking question, you are standing on uneasy ground. You're not standing and on I wasn't even making fun of anything. It was legit a question. Right. And you know, like that's that like so the funny. age old, like bone, bone out of placers. And it's just like contact sports. Riddle me that, <laughs> you know, it's like exactly. literally everyone would have some sort of like CNS lesion. If, if bone out of place was real, <laughs> every football player would get bronze a quarter, some stuff like that. <laughs> they don't. So, oh man, it's just kind of like, come on. Like, and, and like, I try to be very reasonable and I try to think to myself like, oh, they're teaching the history because once you know the history, we don't repeat it, so on and so forth. No, fuck that. I'm paying top dollar. I don't need a history class. I need to know what I need to know. And then you can briefly tell me, hey, that shit we used to think was wrong. <laughs> you know, I can't, I can't believe I spent so much money on, on, on this education, man. It's OK. It's, it sucks. It does suck. Um. Because you don't even learn, like, the real stuff. Like, the stuff that's actually confirmed by science. And that just pisses me off, man. <laughs> uh, you know, like, uh, like uh, what is it, orthodontist boards? I was talking to a fellow chiropractic student at the time. His wife was an orthodontist, or going through the boards to become one. And in their boards, 
they literally like one of the questions will be like according to blah 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 etal 2000 and blah 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 uh what is what was the findings wow. of when when you do this this and that so it's just like oh oh and then we're here saying like dd palmer found the compression method in what year you know <laughs> it's like what like i don't so give a dumb. fuck <laughs> It's, it, you know, and that's where I keep on bringing it back. I am not downgrading the chiropractic profession because we we can help a lot of people if we have the right skill set and, you know, and like we have the right skill set. We have the right ability to, con- to connect with people and kind of, you know, grasp the low hanging, your hanging fruit and correct it. Right. But we cannot compare ourselves to other people like surgeons uh medical doctors we can't do it we honestly can't we have a hundred percent acceptance rate (laughs) you know what i'm saying like at the end of the day it's apples to oranges so don't compare us because we're going to be the rotten orange compared to their bright and shiny apple you know yep we have strong well i have strong views uh against chiropractic but i do still believe that if you're a good clinician, you can be a good Cairo and you can help a lot of people. Um, but that's it, it, it's tough. That's all I got to say. Oh, yeah, 100 percent. Because if you're actually if you're actually remedying situations and salute and giving real solutions, it takes time. And a lot of the time that you're trying to give the solution in the back of your head, you're not sure if it's going to work out. Not because you're unsure with your expertise. You're just unsure if it's going to act the same, everyone's different, right? So it's just kind of like, hey, this protocol should work. But if it doesn't, we you have to be honest with them and say like, hey, look, usually it works. It doesn't. We got to go back to the drawing board. I'm, I hope you were still willing to work with me, you know, but that takes humility. You know, that takes time. That takes introspection. But a lot of people just want to like send the thoracics and just be like, it didn't yeah. help you. Oh, you must be a malingerer. You know, I've seen that. I've seen that where it's just like, or like, oh, your pain presentation doesn't like line up with the the biomedical model. So you must be lying to me. What? Like, like they're literally paying a hundred bucks to come in here to chat, you know, and try to fix whatever they're, what's going on. Why would they yeah, lie? That's like telling someone with fibro that it's all in their head. I want to punch people when they say that. Oh, buddy. Yeah. It's just... And that's the thing, like, is that because they're, they're just kind of burnt is it because they don't care or is it because they're, they're thoroughly burnt out, you know, like that's, that's a good question. Are, are people just thinking that they're people person and then 20 years into the profession, they find out that real quick, like I was never a per- people person. I've been grinding it out these couple of years to pay off my dad. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't see myself working 20 years. <laughs> It's just, you know, they, but that's the thing. Like, I, I like people. I like working with people. Uh, I can see how people get burnt out. And that's why I hope that, you know, through these seminars, we can build a, a new frontier of chiropractic. And through that new frontier of chiropractic, we change the mainstream thought process of how we get treated. So when people come in, I don't have to tell them, like, oh, well, we don't need, really need to necessarily adjust you today. We just need to talk about these lifestyle factors and let's like work at it for more than two days. You, you know, <laughs> it's the power of a uh, recording, you know, like, you know, it's a, it's a power of consistency, but like, you know, like for example, I have clients in my, my personal training uh, clientele where they knew exactly what to do. They just needed that person to, to hold them accountable. 
whether it be me supplying a macro list. Hey, write down your macros every day. You know, it's it's not yeah. because I have to guide them. It's because they need something to write down and they need somebody to say, hey, you missed Wednesday. What happened? A lot of people just need the accountability. That's a great example that you just gave me. Uh, one of my clients, it's a CrossFit coach. Do you think he needs a coach to write out his program? Hell right. no. But it's accountability, man. And, and just asking questions and understanding the why. Um, yeah, I think that's huge because if someone's holding you accountable, um, number one, a coach, and number two, the money that you spent, you're going to be more prone to doing the job, to getting the job done. Yep. Yep. And that's the beauty about, yeah, what, what we do. I mean, we offer you a program, but it's not only a program. It's like literally 24-7 communication and accountability. Exactly. Exactly. And, you know, I, I hope that when we, you know, we, we make this seminar go live, we're going to bring this perspective to the table because I think that it's not only fresh and, and a lot of students will welcome it, but I think that it's going to make people much better at challenging the status quo and i don't know if that's going to <laughs> i don't know if that's going to start a rebellion in in the chiropractic schools um because you know there's the whole i'll say it, i don't care i don't care if people can hate me you know they have the whole gonstead uh clan building up over time like oh well you know he saw 600 patients it's a day a so he, clearly he was doing something right okay right and then you know then you got these people that i i've been seeing a lot of people shifting towards the evidence-based exercise model which is very exciting so i really hope that these seminars can change some minds and people are stop drinking the kool-aid and i hope nobody takes that as an offense supposedly we had a teacher that really took that to offense you, you ever you know oh, the, yeah, the, a couple the, of them but you know like drinking the kool-aid do you know like the where it's from like the root of it Oh, okay. So like, no. all right, long story, I, I, I'm not going to make this a history lesson, but long story short, cult leader, um, basically was about to get caught. He told all his cult members, drink this Kool-Aid or we'll shoot you. They drink the Kool-Aid. It was poison Kool-Aid. They died. Right. Uh -huh. Anyway, one of our teachers actually was on scene to after when they drank the Kool-Aid. So when somebody said it in class, the teacher went like off. In like basically like explain like you do not say that so on and so forth. Damn. Yeah, man. So I'll tell you off air who it was. But yeah, so like I was saying is like so we're covering what the what pain is, what pain isn't, biomechanics, communication, the nuance between what is an injury because there's no <laughs> universal definition. So what does an injury or pain mean, right? Um, but yeah, but go ahead. Right. So we cover that. We cover and then. We're, other than the the main, those are big topics that we kind of break out into very like you know minutia into very different things. But we're planning on also implementing a a day full of exercise execution, exercise setup, exer any anything that's exercise related. The practical application of being a clinician in the evidence based movement based space, and I think that even if you do not plan to be a rehab specialist. By coming to this seminar, you're going to at least have that underneath your belt. So if you ever want to pivot into that space, you're fully equipped and you're ready to do so. Now, yep. I, I do I, I do like the one thing that I'll say last and we'll finish up here is we also plan on adding a like a whole list of if this person has a strained sprain, this person has a tendinopathy, this person has a herniation, it, we're going to lay out all the evidence-based guidelines on how you should treat it in the evidence-based and movement-based world. 
and I think that is going to be super reassuring for clinicians and not like, you know, new clinicians or students, because I know when I was going into the, the clinic, I was kind of like, I think I know what I'm doing, but to have that in front of me as like, you know, I can fly by the seat of my pants if it's literally in the field manual that we've created. And I already have the document with the natural history ready. So it's Beautiful. just copy and paste, man. Just got to finish that up. So, yeah, I guess we'll finish it up with this. Like if you ever like, I want to drive this point home. If you ever have any questions, any doubts or you want to work with us in any manner, don't be hesitant to reach out to us. We are super approachable. We are super open to answering all our DMs. Like if you've already messaged us in the past, you would already see that we respond within what I would say within 10, 10, 15 minutes. You know what I'm saying? Like probably. Because it's either you or I on on the Instagram page. So, yeah, I mean, I think that we have a lot of cool things happening in the future. And if you're interested in learning about how you can heal other people, help heal other people and heal yourself, we um, we're having a program to do so.